And without that young old one Valdez guy coming out of the woods around 4.30 or five o'clock in the afternoon, um, I would have never made it to the hospital and I would have died. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our Immigrant Human Library. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants living in the United States and around the world. We are adding another story to our Immigrant Human Library today, and it's that of Aramis Jordan. Welcome, Aramis. Thanks for having me, Simone. Appreciate it. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Please take a moment and tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your, you know, what's going on with you right now. So um, I'm, I, I consider myself an immigrant because Puerto Rico has always been that boring place where people come from, from being United States citizens. But I, I was born in Puerto Rico. Um, I came here when I was 12. Um, I have gone through high school, graduated high school, first kid for 11 kids in my family, first kid who graduated college. I have started a number of businesses, been successful for what life considers you to be successful. And about 12 years ago, I met this wonderful woman. And as, as we got to, to know each other, she became my wife. And she's always been talking to me about you have to tell your story because it's so different than everybody else's. And I'm like, nobody cares about my story. My story is in every corner of every city in America or in the world. So finally, after um, 12 years, I managed to put my life story on paper. And it's actually a book that just came out called searching for my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, my American dream. Wow, how cute. And I do get a little emotional because it's, you know, it's uh, it's hard to talk about things that happen to you in your life. Um, and, you know, so if I do get a little waterly, I just bear with me. Yes, some of the events might be a bit touching when it, you remember them. I can't imagine so. Yes, you know, my story is very interesting in the sense that according to Harbor experts, I should not be here today, right? Mm -hmm. Because everybody runs these surveys about people, how they grow up and the chances of success and all that kind of stuff. And everybody always tells me, I said, I have no idea how you make it through all that. I wouldn't be able wow. to. Wow. Okay, so we'll get into the book here in a little bit, but tell us, Tell us, you know, a bit about what Puerto Rico is. Um, I mean, I guess, did you leave during well, I was. Years? I lived there. I was born there. I was born there in 65. I left there in 1977. So my younger years, my childhood was in Puerto Rico. I mean, I, I and, and it wasn't, you know, when you're growing up in such a poor environment, your, 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 your life is surrounded by getting up in the morning and going out into the woods going into playing with uh, mango trees and avocado trees and, you know, playing in the river with your friends. That's life, right? That was the mm -hmm. life that I lived. It was, you know, that period of my life um, when I was hanging out with my friends and just good stuff was great. 
I did grow up with an alcoholic mother and an abusive boyfriend. So you get the gist of that. Uh, you know, you become a punching bag at times from them. Uh, my mother abandoned me when I was just about eight. Um, I went to live with some strangers. I actually ran away with from them. Um, so yeah, so Puerto Rico to me has a lot of uh, memories. Um, and and they were not all bad memories. There were some good memories. Um, but as I tell the little pieces of my time friends, as I call them, you know, people get to understand and visualize exactly what life was to me. Um, but for, for, from a personal perspective, you know, I my wife and I actually went there for our honeymoon. Oh. And the interesting part about that is that I left when I was 12. But all we did was rent a car and went to visit where I grew up because I still remember in my memory. And crazy enough, we didn't get lost in a foreign country. Wow, right? and you remember <laughs> it that long ago. Yeah, we actually went to when I was born, uh, where I moved to. I, um, my house is not there anymore, but the river and the bridge that used to overflow every time there was a lot of rain was still there. And I had a lot of memories from there. But my actual house uh, that I described in, in my book, because uh, it was a very simple home, Made, you know, on pillars so that the water could come through from the river when it overflow and the, and, and, and the, you know, the house would go away with the water. But, you know, I, I described the walls that used to be built out of coconut trees. And my father was asking me, what do you mean coconut trees? I said, well, coconut trees are pretty easy because you can cut them in slices and use that as walls. The problem with that is that as it gets older and it dries up, there's holes all over the place. So at times when I was young, I used to hang out with the squirrels and, you know, some snakes used to come in and all that kind of stuff. I'm 58 years old. And the only animal that I don't really like are snakes. Mm, okay. that I just do not get along with. And I think it has something to do with my experiences when I was a young kid. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, so you left at 12, went back on your honeymoon and did not get lost. That's amazing. Were there people still on the island that you knew or are still connected with? Or well, Honestly, no. So, you know, my life story takes a turn when I was eight years old because I got sick. Um, and, you know, I, I went to bed on a Sunday, got up on a Monday morning and I couldn't pee. Oh. In my book, there's a chapter called To Pee or Not to Pee. And, you know, as being eight years old, I didn't tell anybody. I was afraid that the kids um, and the adults would make fun of me because who in the world forgets how to pee? So I would go into the woods without telling anybody and just try to remember how to pee. And I actually did that until Friday. So it was a whole week that I went without being able to pee. The pain got really, um, it, 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 and, I, and I still remember because I couldn't even stand up when the pain got really bad. I managed to go to my sister because I thought that if I went to my sister's outhouse, that for some reason, as an eight-year-old kid, I would remember how to pee. And after 30, 40 minutes of being in there, my sister realized that I wasn't coming out. So she knocked on the door and the door was open and my secret was out. And the first thing I said to her was, please don't tell anybody. 
but I forgot how to pay. Um, and, you know, I tell the story because it, uh, it was the closest time that I ever came to death because as soon as my sister realized and the people with her realized, her boyfriend and, you know, other people, um, they put me on a Jeep, you know, CJ7, four speed with no tops, you know, just a very old car. And we drove to the hospital. And, and I know we all live in the United States and we cannot conceive the notion of a hospital being closed. But when we got there, the hospital was closed. So we just drove back because we didn't know any better. There was no phones, you know, call somebody or anything like that. Uh, so we went back home and, you know, I tell the story in my book that everybody was around me and I was really embarrassed because, you know, I got adults and kids and they're all making fun of me because I can't remember how to be. And strangely enough, as I was writing this book, this strange guy that I described as Juan Valdez uh, comes out of the woods. He's wearing a big straw hat. He's got the little canister where he put the coffee in and a sack on his shoulders. And that's the catch of the day. He you know, fills out a sack, he brings it out and take it to the mills. So that stranger stopped and asked, what's going on? And somebody, and I don't know if it was my sister or somebody else who said to him, um, he can't pee and we took him to the hospital, but the hospital's closed. So this stranger said, there's another hospital that's open 24 hours, a couple of towns over. It's brand new. And without that young old Juan Valdez guy coming out of the woods around 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, um, I would have never made it to the hospital and I would have done. Because by the time I got to the hospital, they operated on me. And the next day I hear the doctors and nurses talking because, you know, adults always talk around kids because they don't think the kids are listening. Um, and they, the doctor was saying he probably had 15, 20 minutes. Uh, they called the administration, the social services, because they couldn't understand how a young kid would go through this trauma, uh, that it was neglect, was it abuse? Make a long story short, um, the authorities would not give me to my family unless my mother came and picked me up. My mother never came because my mother had left me uh, in Puerto Rico and came to the United States and she wasn't coming back. Um, so I was stuck in a hospital, because the funny thing is, as I tell my stories in the book, is that in life, we are confronted with a lot of challenges. And it doesn't matter whether you're young, rich, or poor. It doesn't really matter, right? Your circumstances is not what creates success or failures, right? It's just life, right? And there are periods in your time where you're going through a hard time, and strangers show up. And they try to lend you a hand. And if it wasn't for that old man that showed up at the last minute, right? If it wasn't for the doctors and nurses who refused to give me to these social services. So they took my records and hidden. And for two months, for the month of November and most of December, I did not exist. But I was in the hospital. 
I would move from room to room. I would eat at the nurse's station. I got my hair cut from the nurse's stations. And literally, I was just there because the doctor, who was an American doctor doing his residency, I assume, refused to let me go. And But it got to an obvious point where, you know, we can't hide him for the next 20 years. Um, so I actually went to Christmas Eve. If you know anybody, anything about Puerto Rico, Christmas and the holidays in Puerto Rico used to be huge. It's like a whole month celebration. People go to house to house. They have dances. They have celebrations. Food is flowing all over the place, right? Um, we, he got invited for Christmas Eve dinner at a nurse's home, and he invited me. So obviously I said, yes. I mean, who's going to miss a good dinner, right, in, in, in Puerto Rico during the holidays? Um, and I ended up staying with that couple for two and a half years. So they took me in, they fed me, they clothed me, they gave me a shelter. Sorry. It's the challenge, right, that we all face, I suppose, through life. Um, it always comes down to, I always say it always comes down to seconds because in seconds you have decisions to make, right? And, and a lot of us are so self-absorbed, even as a kid, you know, I didn't want anybody's help. Why? Because I didn't want people to judge me, right? You're a kid. Kids judge you. Bullying is not something new lately, right? Uh, it's always been around, right? And even me as a Puerto Rican kid or another American citizen who happens to be born in Puerto Rico, um, I've been bullied. I've been um, called all kinds of names, both by Spanish people and, you know, regular American kids, as I used to call it, Right. So being discriminated against is not like something new or unusual. What I what I always believed is that you always have to stay true to yourself. And you and I have no idea what it came from. Um, but I've always been able to look past the clutter that happens to be that small period of time in your life. Right. So when the nurse and, and, and truck driver who, you know, that's who they were, offered me a lending hand. I just took it. I didn't judge. I didn't um, question their motives. I just went to live with strangers who, who took me in and, and gave me a foundation that made a big difference in my life today. Wow. And so I'm wondering, what's the what's the story behind you coming to the U.S.? You went to live with this couple for two and a half years. The divorce. And, and I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Are they still alive? Are you in touch with them? Yeah. It's interesting because as people start reading the book, they keep asking me all these questions. Even my father yesterday called me to ask me about part of the book. He didn't understand what the finish was. But um, so so I went to live with them. Um, I was nine years old. They put me in school. That was a requirement. I had to do chores. That was a requirement. I had to go to church. We went to church on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. We were very active in church. Um, I was a regular kid. I was the happiest guy in the world. I had toilet. There was a toilet inside the house. Mm. I never experienced that before. I could take a shower any, every night if I wanted to. And for the most part, during school, I had to. 
right? It wasn't that I had to walk outside into the woods and try to keep my feet on the ground that I wouldn't fall because the floor is so slippery from, you know, water coming down um, on wood. Um, and anyway, so I was living the life that I think any kid in the world would want. And then one day um, they started firing and arguing and um, they made a decision that they will give me to my mother back. And I have no idea how that whole thing happened. The only thing that I do remember is that I got up one morning, everything was packed for me. And they told me that my my grandmother was sick and she wanted to see me. So they were going to drop me off at my grandmother's on a Friday night and pick me up on Sunday. Hmm. And, um, and that was back in 1977, the summer of 1977. And uh, they never came to pick me up. Wow. You never saw them again? I never saw them again. Um, I wrote them. Um, I wrote them almost every single day that I was here for probably the first six months. Um, the letters never got returned, but they never responded. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that you say to yourself, you know, just to give you a little background. So on Sunday, I was expecting them to come. And I'm waiting outside for them to come. I mean, I'm only a 12-year-old kid, right? So it's not like I'm an adult, you know, dealing with adult issues. I'm like, okay, you can, they're coming to pick me up. My mother was around. She had just shown up on Sunday. And she had mentioned to me that they didn't want me anymore and that I was coming to the United States with her. Um, and, and the challenge for me, and I, and I guess, you know, people can... Can, can relate is that the job of a parent is to give you support, right? To give to be a a a um a shoulder to cry on. Mm. Make sure that you know your pain can be cured. But my mother was the opposite. She had she had no interest on on what what I was feeling. She just said they don't want you anymore and then you're coming home with me. So as soon as she told me that I just um I waited and waited. I waited for that green Chevy Nova to show up up that hill and park and say, hey, we're here to pick you up. And that never came. So that was a very difficult time in my life because um, I didn't have a relationship with my mother. My mother abandoned me when I was about seven and a half, eight years old. I had gone through all this traumatic stuff. I had lived a normal life for two and a half years. I had friends. I had school. I was a... Um, second in my class to the girl that I was uh, had a crush on. Um, and, you know, so I had friends. I mean, I had a normal life. I mean, it, and all of a sudden, um, that got taken away from me. And uh, we came, we landed in Boston, Logan Airport, around 2.30 in the morning. I, I remember that. And because that flight, I have never taken a flight before. But that flight, um, I didn't, I was like lost. Because all I, I, all I was saying to myself was, because this was on a Monday, how school go today? What did my friends do? Did they miss me? Mm -hmm. Right? 
and you know to put things in perspective i grew up in the hills of puerto rico call it farm country okay um and i land in boston massachusetts that's a total opposite right all i smell in my drive to the my uh, our apartment in Lumminster, Mass. It was the wet concrete because it was raining that night, right? When the heat hits the concrete, you get that smell. Um, and I, you know, we land, we went, we landed, got on the car, we got to the apartment, and for the first six weeks that I was there, I didn't leave the apartment. I didn't leave the apartment because I didn't want kids to make fun of me. I was the only kid living in the building. There must have been like eight, ten kids that didn't speak English. They were all Spanish kids. But they were just as bad bullies or discriminated against me because I didn't speak English. To me, I was that kid. How old are you? Right? You don't speak English? Oh, my God. You must be stupid. Right. Um, I didn't, I, you know, one of the things in life that I, you know, in, that I tell in my book is that you have to learn whether you learn it early or later on in life, that the only thing that really matters is you. Right. You need to be good with you. You need to know you. Everything else, it's a lot of clutter. Right. Because I get discriminated. I mean, why am I being discriminated by Spanish kids? I'm Spanish, right? I'm growing up and kids are telling me, oh, you know, that you're like, you're a speck because I used to be the slang for a Puerto Rican back in the 70s and 80s, right? Or you're a grease hair. And then the English kids were just as bad. So it wasn't like I was discriminated against because I'm Spanish. I'm discriminated against because I'm different. But whatever the thing it was, because I, I, why am I different? Because I don't go outside and, and play. Uh, or I don't speak English or I have an accent. Um, that was a very challenging time in my life because kids are probably a lot of time worse than adults when it comes to that stuff. And I think the reason is that we are so dependent as young kids uh, on other people's um, views of us, right? Uh, especially your peers, and and to find them giving you all this negative that I wasn't used to, right? I'm a church going kid, right? Straight out of kid. I don't, you know, I don't do drugs. I don't fight. I mean, uh, nothing. And all of a sudden, I have to deal with cultural shock, total different world. And then I can't make any friends because they both hate me. If I hang out with the Spanish kids, well, everybody else calls me. You know, the Spanish kids, you know, nobody hangs out with the Spanish kids. But if I hang out with the white kids, right, then the Spanish kids say, well, why are you hanging out with them? They're the enemy, right? Um, and that happened to me when I went to school, believe it or not. It's actually in my book because I talk about uh, a couple of professors wanted to make sure that more kids were integrated in the sports, right? And sports are pretty easy to integrate yourself into. And I'm like, well, I want to be like them. I want to just, I just want to be normal. And because I wanted to be normal, I joined. I joined basketball. I had no idea how to play basketball. But I happened to have a good 
um, uh, a height. I was 5'9 when I was 12. I'm 58 and I'm still 5'9. So you figure that one out, right? My, my basketball career didn't last long. But I also joined the soccer team. I didn't know how to play soccer. I didn't even know what soccer was, for the love of God. I grew up with baseball in Puerto Rico. Um, so as soon as I joined that, you know, one of the challenges that I faced here, um, it was the, the, the discrimination within my own race. The Spanish kids were the one discriminating against me. I could deal with the white kids, right? Because to me, the white kids were just looking at me like I was another new kid, right? I had to prove myself that I could actually play the sport. And if I could find, if they could find value in me, then we all got along, right? It's almost like at work, right? I, I don't, you know, I, I've been very successful at, uh, in my career. I've also been successful in opening different businesses. Uh, and one of the things is that I, I never want to look at myself as being uh, something different than everybody else, right? I'm just me. You take me for what I am. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to give you ammunition or anything for you to think differently. And if you're racist, that's okay. I actually, my girlfriend in high school, her parents were Irish. Uh, and he was, she used to tell me, he goes, my father is very racist. And I said, that's okay. And I used to say, you know, we're all at some level, we're all racist. Um, so it was a challenge in dating an Irish girl, uh, with a racist father, but I never gave him a reason to, um, question me. I was just me. I wasn't trying to pretend. I wasn't pretending to be somebody I wasn't. It was just me. And that was it. So, um, you know, it came to the point where when I graduated high school after breaking up with, with, with her, uh, two years earlier, the day actually came up to my graduation and uh, gave me a card. So, you know, that tells a lot about, you know, uh, what I believe in racism. Um, but, you know, we all, you know, in my book, what I try to explain to people is that it doesn't really matter how hard or difficult your life was because, it, you know, my life was hard, uh, but that was even before I was 12, right? And then got even harder when I came here because I, I you know, as a kid, as a young kid who's your entire life just get, you know, you, you, you just gets pulled from under you, you're coming here with a bigger challenge. And the challenge was how do I integrate myself within this world that is totally foreign to me? Right. You were about 15 or so, 14 going on 15? 12. 12 when you came. Yeah. I, oh, wow. Only, so when everything English, happened. Yeah, the only English word that I know was hello. Wow. Um, so all that episode with you not being able to pee and living with those folks for two and a half years was up. It was, oh, I actually thought you were about 12 when all this happened. And then two and a half years later, you would have been 14 and a half. So no, you were. Actually... I went to live with them when I was nine because I got sick okay. and a half. And I spent a couple of months in the hospital and then I went to live with them for two and a half years. So um, why did it? Why didn't why didn't the Spanish uh, speaking folks kind of um, welcome you in? Were there other Puerto Ricans in your community? The whole building was all Puerto Ricans. So what were they? What was the issue? 
I'm just the new kid that doesn't speak English. So I'm different. Wow. It's amazing how people seem to always find something, right? It doesn't matter what it, it is. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It, and, and, you know, what I try to teach in my book is the perseverance. You have to really look beyond that because you, 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 you really, the only thing that really matters is you. You want to be successful based on you, not by somebody else's success, right? I, I, and, and I, you know, and, and I noticed lately that we, as a society, we, we want to blame everybody else for us, right? For me, my situation is because other people caused it. And what I've always believed is that everything starts with you. You is the only one who matters. What other people think about you doesn't really matter. It's what you believe in because you can accomplish anything. Don't find fault because other people are successful. What you need to do is learn what they did so that you too can be successful. You know, that used to be the American dream. You, the American dream was you can come to the United States and you can do anything that you put your mind to, right? And again, I'm a kid that came to the United States with nothing. I, well, not nothing. I had $78 in my pocket because um, my father or my adoptive father that uh, dropped me off when I was living with them put $78 in my pocket. And I found that money when I came here because I just didn't pay attention. I wasn't supposed to be left over there. Uh, and I didn't ask why all my stuff was being packed just for the weekend trip. I should have, but I didn't. I, I suppose that I, I only have myself to blame for that. Um, but I think that somehow deep in myself, I knew something was up. I just didn't know that's what it was. Right. But right. you were, you were like, you were what? You said you were 12. You were 12. I was 12. Yeah, I was 12. I had You're going to take, 12. these are people that, oh, they took care of you, such great care of you. You trusted them. So you probably did not even think to question what they told you. No, right? well, I wouldn't say question. I think the thought went through my mind that something was up, right? Because there was something off. She didn't come with us and she gave me a hug in the morning and cried. So, it, you know, I knew something was up. I just didn't ask the question, Right. Um, and you know, it is what it is. Um, but I give them all the credit in the world because they provided me a very strong foundation that still today I live by, right? I, I, I live by the fact that, you know, there's a higher power. I believe that you should be honest to yourself. You should always help others. Um, and I got that from them in the two and a half years that I spent with them. Um, I got that foundation. I don't know that I would have gotten any other place because before that I was like a little, you know, I was like a little puppy that everybody liked, but nobody wanted to keep. Right. I went from house to a house to, you know, um, being a punching bag to uh, dealing with stuff that most people shouldn't live. I mean, I went, I experienced things in my life before the age of nine that most people shouldn't experience in their whole life. Did it make me a bad person? I don't think so, because I, I always believe that every experience in your life 
makes you who you are. You need to be able to, you know, I always tell people, I say, you got to learn how to fail in order to succeed. And it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, relationship, you know, you don't marry the first person you meet, right? You go through periods of times where you meet people and you learn the different things you like and don't like. And hopefully someday you meet somebody that everything clicks, right? Um, for me, it was late in life. And mainly because of my upbringing, I had a hard time dealing with relationships. Um, not because I was abusive, because I wasn't, but you know, your your partners need certain things from you, your emotional support or whatever that I wasn't able to give. Because to me, you know, I never dwell on things. I always look at things from a total, very distant perspective. If you to my wife, she'll tell you that. Um, I just always just learn from it and move forward. I and mean, you don't look back because looking back is, you know, history is great as long as you don't repeat it. Join us again next time for part two of this episode. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.